Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. I have a little something extra to share with you today. At the end of last week, I had the opportunity to sit down, uh, remotely, with John Palisano, the president of the Horror Writers Association. We talked about the Stokers, about the association itself, and about horror in general. It was a great conversation, and I'd like to share it with you here today. If you'd like more details about the Stokers, the Horror Writers Association, or John himself, I'll post those links in the show notes. Children of the Night, join me for a conversation with John Palisano. You guys must have a lot on the go trying to get everything figured out with uh, things being so crazy in the world right now and trying to figure out what's happening with a pretty major event. Yeah, we are definitely... Um, trying to deal with writing a very big ship <laughs> with many moving parts. Mm. And it's not just the convention, it's all the different aspects of the convention. It's, you know, it's, if you know anything about StokerCon, it's like five conventions running at the same time with, you know, different figureheads running each section. So coordinating all that and doing it intercontinentally is, man, you know, it's a lot. So, yeah. Oh, I bet. The first time you're hosting it in the UK, uh, something really exciting and different to, holy crap, now it's an entire new set of logistics to try and figure out. You know, getting to the point before even the coronavirus came out, um, just getting all that coordinated was a lot. Um, because again, we have like, you know, authors coming in from around the world and we have the final frame uh, film festival with filmmakers coming from all over the world. 
you know, we're doing horror university and, and then local programming. And uh, we finally had everything just about ready. And then kabooey. <laughs> right near so, the finish line. Eh? Yeah. Close. Well, the really good news is it's looking very likely that we're going to be able to postpone. Um, I don't want to publicly say any dates or timeframes yet because we're waiting on the hotel's confirmation, but it's looking really good. The other thing we want to make sure of is if we do postpone it and we're still in this situation in a few months that we can postpone it again. So we're all trying to make sure that can happen and and everything can be carried over. That's Um, a lot to figure out. It is. And and if I may say the biggest thing I'd like people to know is the HWA is not abandoning anybody who is going to attend. And we're definitely going to try to work with people with their schedules and try to help them with their airlines or their, you know, hotel reservations and stuff like that. So we're going to help any member that needs that help. We're going to do our best just so people know we're not just like, hey, guys, sorry, you're on your own. Bye. See you next time. No, we're not. You know, we're all a family. So when everybody come and we appreciate. So definitely going to be doing our best to help facilitate any changes for people. So how many people are at the Horror Writers Association? How many staff do you have? Well, we're mostly volunteer run. Um, God, I think I think we have over 50 people in different aspects all over the organization doing different things, at least, including the officers, including people that are volunteering on the juries, things like that. Yeah, it's small things and then big things, you know, on up to, you know, all our board of officers and trustees who do a lot of the heavy lifting and the StokerCon team is its own unit as well of five different people. And then all the different trees that that splinters off into. <laughs> we've had the privilege of, you know, for years now, we've reached out pretty much every year to the individual nominees, particularly in the short story category, because that's kind of our jam, to feature their stories on the podcast. And that was back from years and years ago when this was started uh, by Larry Santoro. Ah, bless his heart. That voice. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, you know, I think Larry's involvement with the HWA really kind of paved the way for one of the things that our listeners look forward to most every year uh, with the podcast, hearing the Stoker-nominated stories. Uh, You know, there have been, uh, last year, for example, we were a little bit late on the uptake. We had some ownership changes and that sort of thing. And there were quite a few people that actually reached out asking uh, when or if we were still going to feature the Stoker stories. So I think that's kind of a testament to the awards themselves and, uh, you know, what they do. Um, I thought this would be a really good opportunity, though. I'm not sure how many listeners who haven't either attended the Stokers or who are, uh, you know, aren't HWA members really know that much about the Horror Writers Association and what you do. So... I thought this could be maybe a really good opportunity to get a bit of a peek behind the curtain to see what you do, what your mandate is, and why you exist outside of just the Stoker Awards. It's it's been an amazing event, I think, to help rally the horror community, but you guys do so much more than just the Stokers. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that the HWA definitely serves a lot of different people now than it used to. Um, We've worked really hard to include not just authors, but um, librarians. Um, and academics, and publishers, and comic book writers, and screenplay writers, and producers of cinema. And that's been an amazing situation. Oh, and game, uh, video game and board game uh, creators are also coming into our fold, too. You know, anybody that's writing horror in one way or the other. We even have horror songwriters in, in our midst, which is really cool. 
and and of course poetry and prose and nonfiction we've always had for since the beginning and i think that's one of the one of the neat aspects is that um i always tell people you know horror brings us together but almost everybody has their fingers in many different genres and areas i, I don't know anybody that just says i only write extreme horror nothing else you know yeah <laughs> they're, they're always like oh i did horror but i i'm writing this romance series <laughs> you know or something like that or you know a lot are into science fiction as well and fantasy um yeah some are straight literary. And I, I think as far as what we have to offer, um, we've also worked really hard because for a long time, the HWA was thought of as an amateur organization only for people just starting out. And we still certainly have that aspect um, where we can help you know people just starting off on their journey. But now we're really helping authors well along on their journey too in many ways. Um, there's a lot of support systems there for them as far as promotion for their books. There's a lot of professional support with things like the Grievance Committee, and um, professional opportunities like being able to teach at Horror University, which is great because you can actually make a little coin there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, things like that. So there's a lot of great opportunities. Well, and I think that speaks to the diversity of the genre, too. I think that's one of the things that's always drawn me to it is, you know, horror can cross over with so many different things. It touches so many different categories and so many different subgenres and other types of outputs, other types of work. It's, it spe seems to span so much and it seems to speak to so many people. I feel like it's almost come into its own even more in the, the last, you know, decade or so, uh, at least mainstream. I don't know that many people that don't enjoy a good horror movie now and then, whereas it feels like it used to be a little bit more niche. Have you found that to be the trend or do you think it's been pretty consistent? It's absolutely been the trend. Um, and, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. I think, A, it's become a very scary world for everybody yeah. in a lot of ways. And, and for people of all ages and all walks of life, it's a very scary, unpredictable, um, unsafe world. And I think it speaks to people, the, the, the genre of horror, in, in a way that few others um, do. And where you can kind of work your way through these fears and find ways to conquer them and empower yourself over them. And I think that is really something that has been a really valuable asset. Um, we're seeing a big upswing in young, young kids coming to horror and coming, literally coming to like our library events. We're seeing kids from like eight, 10, 11, 12, and they're dressed as, you know, stranger things. They're, they're dressed as the characters in stranger things and they're dressed as Pennywise. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'll talk to them and say, you know, what, what draws you to this? And they're like, well, when I go out with my friends, you know, I never know what's around the corner now. And when I watch Stranger Things, I feel like those kids are like me, you know, or when I watched it, I felt like, you know, those kids were like, like us, you know, and there was, there is scary people like always waiting to come after us. And I'm like, well, that's just so cool. I mean, that's exactly and precisely what drew me to it as a kid and other generations. So it's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me too. I think that mirrors my experience pretty closely too. Right. I remember, uh, I used to go to the library and get out those like books on tape and like get oh. a whole bunch of like Stephen King stuff and just go through cassette after cassette while I was supposed to be sleeping, but hiding under <laughs> the covers and scaring the crap out of myself. Right. It's funny. What do you think it is about like scaring the crap out of yourself? Is it the adrenaline rush? Is it you know, that really, it seems to really stand the test of time is something that we like to do to ourselves. It's a little bit masochistic in a way. Yeah, I think it's you get a similar rush um, 
from like extreme sports, like jumping off of a bridge or, you know, racing a car on a street, you're not supposed to race it down. I think that's one of the things that really appeals to horror is you can get that in a book. And I think that, that, that that's a really appealing feeling. It kind of gives you that a little adrenaline, a little bit of a high. You know, you're like, oh, my God, I don't believe that. You know, if you're watching an extreme horror film like Saw or something for the first time and you're like, oh, I don't believe it. Ah, and you get that kind of like wound up feeling. And I think it kind of <laughs> it can become yeah. a like kind of like an, an addiction in a way. And again, I, I do think a lot of it, too, has to do with uh, folks just kind of like psyching themselves up and kind of like working out things like you go to a gym to work out to get strong. In one ways, I think horror works out your emotions to get stronger in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of the people that are drawn to the genre need that kind of strengthening <laughs> somewhere, somehow, something has caused them to want to become stronger in the face of fear. Yeah, feel uh, a little bit, not quite desensitized, but yeah, more comfortable with the concept. Yeah, absolutely. And it is fun. I mean, the dark stuff is fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, especially when you can explore it in fiction instead of like in yourself, right? Totally. Several years back, uh, when Clyde Barker, he was signing the, one of the, the first Aberat books. And, and I, I said, oh, this is so cool, you know, and uh, this is such a beautiful book and great. And he said, oh, I don't know if, if the kids are going to go for it. You know, mm. it's so, so dark. And I said, oh, no, man, the kids love the dark stuff. Think about it. Wizard of Oz. They, they love the scary parts of that. They're, they're waiting for that. You know, Valrog and Fantasia, that was like the coolest mm. part. You know what I mean? And, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, even little kids kind of like that. They, they like the darker stuff. You know, they, they, a lot of them are drawn to that immediately. It's, that's the fun one, <laughs> the fun <Yeah>. part. <laughs> well, it's funny, too. When you're young, you almost remember the nightmares more than you remember the good dreams, right? Those are the totally. ones that stick with you. Totally. Those are the ones you talk about to your friends. Oh, my God, I had this dream last night. I was yada, yada. This thing was after me or Jason yeah. was after me and you cut your head off, Billy. What do you mean he cut my head off? You know, should have cut your head off, you know. <laughs> so how long have you been with the Horror Writers Association then? Well, <laughs> a long time. Um, I know it's it's going on probably 15 years now. Um and I started when I first went to my first um, world horrors and stuff. Um, I didn't know anybody and I was scared. And there was like all these old guys standing around in circles talking and yapping. I don't know anybody. And I'm like, hi, guys, I'm a writer, too. And they're like, yeah, that's nice. Anyway, this is fantastic literary horror that you should read from. Uh, and I was just like, oh, my God, the H.W. Ancients, you know. And um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I met a couple of a young, a young Turks, you know, my age. And we kind of stuck together in uh, um you know, I, I, we started like, you know, stuffing goodie bags and getting involved little by little. And um, honestly, I remember I didn't have money to go to the to the uh, banquet for the, the Stoker Awards. So I'd go to the convention, but I'd sit in the back because they'd let you, you know, go in and just watch and sit in the cheap seats in the back. And I'd be so quiet and, I, you know, we'd be kind of be like whispering jokes to each other. And then, oh my gosh, here I am now. I'm up on stage and I have to address this, you know, crowd of people now. And <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So um, now, when, when uh, ever since I was a vice trustee um, and, and I'd have a table at the things, what I would do is I would go to the back and I would say, they'd say, who do you want to sit? And, you know, one of the funny things is all the officers, officers are like, oh, who are you going to sit with? You know, and the Stokers, who's going to sit with you? You know, you're going to sit with the, you know, the stars. And um, I remember like two or three years ago, I'm not going to say names or name the convention, but I had invited people to my table and I'm sitting at my table and, and none of these people were with me. And I looked over, they're sitting two to a chair 
at the table next to me because all the famous authors were there. Nobody wanted to sit with me. So I said, uh, uh, the maitre d' came up to me and said, sir, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, go to the back and invite people who couldn't afford a ticket. Come sit with me. <laughs> and, and you know, I had a couple of people come up to the table. One of them was Krista Carmen, who I had, had never met before. And I, I think that was a really a, a really fun thing. And I started that tradition now. And I said, so you guys fight over the famous people. I'm going to I want to go and, and meet some brand new people. First time here, you know? Yeah. You never know who's uh, going to be famous a couple of years down the road, right? Right. And it's, it's, it's all about, you know, giving back because I was that person on the back of the room not so long ago. And I would have loved the chance to come up and like talk to quote unquote real writers and, you know, pick their brains and make those connections because it's hard. It's scary. Yeah. You know, it's, it's anti against, you know, the writer's makeup to go and do these sort of things to go and be assertive for a lot of them. And, you know, a lot of us, I should say, to go up and push yourselves on people and talk to people and, you know, make those kind of connections. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I definitely <laughs> fall into that boat too. So totally. <laughs> relate. Totally. Actually, I thought it was really interesting. You know, we run a fair bit of uh, Lovecraft's fiction and just understanding his background and he pretty much failed in his lifetime because he wasn't able to to promote himself. He was, you know, not comfortable going out and kind of shilling his work to, to people. So Wow. <laughs> Maybe that's why he, he turned out so, such a great writer because he was devoting more of his time to that than socializing. <laughs> yeah, true enough. <laughs> you know, I swear to God, man, like half the time I'm like, oh, I could go an entire day just answering emails and, and promotions and the business of writing can take over so quickly. Yeah. And I'm like, I haven't written a word in two days, but I've answered uh. about 800 emails. You know, <laughs> I've talked a lot about writing. <laughs> I guess that's one of the the struggles with success too, is especially once it starts to turn into a business, you end up spending more time running a business than you do the things that got you into it to begin with, which is the writing. Yeah, absolutely. It's that old axiom, you know, it's the business is half a show business, you know, and that's true in any of any of these creative arts. Uh, that's the painful truth of it. Very few people get this, you know, get the work coming to them. Even when you're, even when you're a Stephen King or, or you know, Nan Rice or Clyde Barker or Josh Mallerman, I mean, they're still having to go out and promote. I mean, King's all over the place all the time, still, you know, working it, and um, it's still vitally important in this era to be a person, be a personality, yeah. and that that could definitely, you know, I, I sometimes I feel like I've talked to other writers about this too, and sometimes when you're writing, you actually hear all those voices and you hear those commentaries on Facebook on, you know, what people liked and didn't like in a book or what should or shouldn't be written about. And, and it, it changes what you write. And, and it's a weird phenomenon. And it's really hard to turn off. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's hard to turn off the business. I know a lot of people who like, what should I write? What's, you know, what's going to be hip in two years? What should I work on on my next book? Should it be werewolves? Because is that going to be hot? Or is vampire, are vampires going to swing back around? And you're like, oh, man, you know, it, it, it's hard to like figure out like, in yourself, like how to be genuine in that. And I think a lot of writers too are told, you know, like, Hey, I was working with a publisher once and they said, Hey, we were looking for such and such kind of book. You know, we, we wanted to do, you know, zombies and, you know, zombies are still hot. We want you to do zombies. Then we want you to do a vampire. And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, how can I do this and still be genuine and not just be riding a wave? And that's kind of a, that's a challenge. <laughs> Well, and I imagine like to do good work too, you know, if it's not, 
if it's not a story you're passionate about telling, if it's not a story you're excited about, it's, it's pretty hard to write a really good story if it's just to, you know, to make a paycheck. And I know there's, there's writers out there that can pump them out like crazy that can do that, you know, on, on request. But I think if you're, you know, if, if you're really investing a piece of yourself into something that's kind of necessary to get it, you know, to get something really good. Yeah, a, a thousand percent that. And I think, you know, the metaphorical opening of the vein really has to happen. Even when you're doing like work like that or, or you know, work that somebody's guided you to or doing, you have to kind of push that away and, and find the nucleus of the heart of the story and, and just be real and genuine. You, you can certainly get there. And, and it's, it's not like, uh, you know, I worked in cinema and, and a lot of other things for years. And those are a little bit even, those are a little bit more guided. And, and they, they even call, they, they, don't, they don't call it the art. They call it the craft in movies. And I, I never liked that because it kind of said, no, this isn't really an art. You're just kind of a craftsperson, you know, following a template. And I was like, ah, it was such a turnoff to me. It's changed tremendously in, in movies uh, with, with the rise of the streaming services. But there were things like you would have outlines if you were working on TV, how many minutes until a break, what had to happen at this minute, what had to happen at that minute. And it was kind of like, it was really kind of soul crushing. You're like, ah, oh, this is this is just kind of like filling in the blanks. And that's one of the things that drove me back into fiction in a, in a big way. Because although you will get people that still will say like, hey, we'd really like you to do zombies, that's kind of the extent of it. You know, they're, they're not going to be like, well, it needs to be in, you know, Mississippi in 1942. And there has to be this, you know, they're not like that specific. They're like, well, we want it. We're doing a zombie line, do a zombie. So it's not that bad, which is, you know, I think for most of us, we could we could think of like 10 zombie pitches in like 10 minutes, you know, if we had to. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Eh? You know, right. So what do you think is next? I mean, zombies, I feel like we've been riding that wave for a while now. You know, we had that bit of a vampire wave. What do you think is next? Do you see any trends emerging? Yeah, uh, the the biggest trend we're seeing right now is the rise of the folk horror, F-O-L-K. <laughs> um, films like Midsommar and, and the new Color Out of Space adaptation are kind of folk and, and weird fiction really kind of taking hold. And it's, it's a very different feel and it's more literary and it's, it's more traditional, uh, uh, cinema style. It's more story based than monster based. And that is definitely something that, that we're seeing in a big way. I mean, Jordan Peele is, is an amazing example of where horror is going, where expectations are subverted and horror is being used in ways that's never been used before. And I, I think that's a really exciting change. And I think we're only going to see more of it, especially as these projects, these films and books are really getting a lot of notice and they're, and they're gaining a lot of steam. Um, there's a lot of horror fiction now, like uh, The Boatman's Daughter and a couple of books like that. And, and you know, again, Josh Mallerman's books where they're, they're more like um, they're not slasher films and they're not uh, a splatter gore. And I, I think folks are really realizing that horror is no longer um, Jason and Freddy and Saw. But it, ha it has this amazing ability to make commentary on things. I, I think that that's, that's drawing a lot of people in who didn't think they liked horror until they saw these kinds of projects. And they go, oh, you know, I like this. is interesting. I really like that Good Omens from Neil Gaiman show, you know, and you realize, mm -hmm. well, that's horror. And they're like, oh, well, that's commentating on so many great things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, again, I think it speaks so much to the, the diversity of the genre, too, and how many angles it can take. And like you said, I think there's times where something is horror, and it's even debated. You know, I've heard quite a bit uh, of debate around The Lighthouse, for example. Like, is that horror? Is it a thriller? Like, what What is that movie? I think that's another good example of that really literary style horror. 
that's uh, that's drawing people in. Stuff with with real depth to it. Yeah. Well, I think in the case of something like that, it's more a case of a mood that it's it's making you feel something, and you don't know how or why, and that's great. It is making you feel like that same feeling you felt after seeing a horror film. You feel a little icky and weird, mm-hmm. and there was something wrong about that. And, and that's making you think, and it's making you feel. And I think those are the two things that horror does wonderfully. And if and if a movie does that, if it makes you feel kind of off and kind of bad in a way, or made you kind of rethink things, then it could certainly count as horror. I mean, Silence of the Lambs, of course, is horror. The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. I mean, Schindler's List, you know, definitely could count as horror. I mean, it, it's it's... Not it's a nonfiction dramatization, but it, it certainly hit all the marks. Yeah, you know all this it had all the suspenseful scenes. I mean, is Jaws a horror film? <laughs> yeah, it's a thriller too, but it, it's definitely horror. Hitchcock's films horror films. They were released today. They'd probably classify them as horror. Yeah, true enough. So you know, at the time they were thrillers. So yeah, it's just really good stuff. Really, really high quality, wonderfully um, made stuff coming in. So the Horror Writers Association supports the creation of those kinds of works. And you, like you said, it's, it's kind of expanded what you've included within it. I'm curious, you know, podcasts are becoming more and more popular too. I don't know if you feature much within the Horror Writers Association. Here's the thing. Um, we, we've, had, we've had the discussion with, with multimedia properties before. The biggest thing that folks want to know is, why isn't there a Stoker category for this, that, or the other thing? Well... We go back to our original byline uh, of the of the organization, which is we support the written word. So if there's a written word component to it, then we have something. Without the written word, without a script, without a you know a play chart or something like that, it becomes very difficult. Um, it's for the same reason we don't have a stoker for best cover artwork or best painting of the year. We feel like there's other organizations that are much more well equipped to handle that sort of a thing. But these forms of art are definitely embraced and, and celebrated in other ways. I'm of, I'm, of the, I'm of the feeling, and this is really controversial, I know I, I could get filleted by a lot of people for this, but I'm not crazy about the HWA just being known for the Bram Stoker Awards. And there's a good reason for that, because the award is great, but it really is. It's an amazing thing. We, we get to share it around the world. We get to help support a lot of work that way. But then six months later... Everybody still has to go out and keep making more work. And, you know, the word's on the shelf and then, well, get back in front of your computer and write more stuff. You know, I, I really like to promote things beyond just an award. And I think we're doing things like that with like the Ann Radcliffe Academic Conference and with Librarians Day and with the Final Frame Film Festival. And they have their own kind of awards and accolades that they give out. And I think that that's kind of a, a superior way to kind of do that. And as far as, you know, uh, podcasts, there's so many great horror podcasts. Um, Larkspore was a great one. I mean, there's been so many. Um, what was it? Night Vale that was out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, all terrific things. And I think that, that the, the book that came out around that was actually, I think it might have been one of the finalists that year. The, the unscripted podcasts, too, are terrific. Like uh, The Ghost Magnet with Bridget from Playboy is amazing. Uh, Brian Keens, we cannot talk about podcasts without talking about the horror show. Everybody's favorite. I love that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, is there a written component to that? Nah, it's hard, you know. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I'd like to hear what you think about that being a podcast, right? And, and doing that. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Yeah, you know, I I think the written word component, I think that being a part of your mandate, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it really depends. There's such a, like you said, there's such a diversity in podcasts, too, even within the horror genre. You know, ours, I think, tends to be a little bit more of that literary base. I mean, we've had actually... I think three out of the five uh, nominees for the short story category this year have recently had stories on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so you know, something like ours is a little bit different in that respect, but you know, it's, it's interesting even within the podcast space, there's, there's not really competition. It's like, we're all kind of helping to build this big body of work that we, and we love listening to each other, uh, yeah. promoting each other. And I, I feel like, I sense that from the horror community at large too. you know, many of the writers that I've spoken to, you know, everybody wants to lift everybody else up. It's not, you know, trying to get ahead of somebody else. It's let's all do amazing work together and help lift each other up. And I feel like an organization like the Horror Writers Association, because you bring everybody together in that is, you know, kind of a crucial part of that. Yeah. And, you know, once in a while for things like our old iMailer, we, we were getting people listing their podcast and saying, Hey, we have this podcast. Um, I don't see a lot of people sending us stuff to promote and I would love that. Uh, if anybody's listening, um, please go, go to our site and, um, send us your, send us your stuff. Um, we'd, we'd love to promote more horror podcasts and, you know, we have our blog and, and, um, our members can promote every, every Saturday, our Facebook feed, which is something ridiculous. Like 15,000 people are subscribed to it. Um, our members can promote there every Saturday um, and put a promotional post up. Personally, I have seen a lot of results from my own projects from posting to that. And, and I know others have as well. So I encourage everybody um, to utilize that. It's a great promotional avenue for, for podcasts. So do you find that most of the people, I mean, it's it's probably hard to tell to some degree, but most of the 
the people you have interactions with or that, uh, you know, participate in the Horror Writers Association or go to the website, is it mostly writers or have you seen an increase in like listeners and readers and other people consuming horror participating there? Yeah, mostly writers. Um, we don't we don't have a lot of conduits within the organization for for things like readers, unfortunately. And I think that's just the nature of it because we're we're more of a big support system for writers and and yeah. and and publishing and other professionals in the horror genre. And I don't think there's not much there for readers inside. We do see a lot of outside attraction, like we're doing Librarians Day every year now, and we have our Summer Scares program that's going to all the libraries around the country where we promote books and have posters made and everything. Um, we we had the readathon thing a couple of years ago where everybody held up a book and their dog, and uh, even Stephen King took a picture and that that went around to all the libraries. So um, there's you know there's some really cool ways that we're we're trying to reach readers. But the other big thing we're trying to do is when we have our events is to make sure that they're more reader based than you know shop based. So when we're, when we're doing appearances like we're doing the, the the festival of books or something, those are really geared towards readers and. The other big area we're working in is academics and libraries. Libraries have been amazing. Libraries are are really doing an amazing job. They've kind of transitioned. It. I, I don't know about your local library, but but mine are kind of like these social services offices now, kind of on steroids, <laughs> mm-hmm. where they have these huge event rooms and, and stages, and they pay for authors to come in and give speeches, and they do book signings, and they promote the books, and uh, they buy 10 copies for the read book of the month. Um, our, our One of our local libraries just had uh, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia come, and they rented out this big auditorium for her to do a big talk, and they promoted the book, and they made a big display, and, and you know, it's really kind of cool that, that they're supporting, you know, authors, and they have budgets. Um, there's a great new festival called Story Fest in Westport, Connecticut that, that just started two years ago, and I was a guest last year, and it was phenomenal. This library, they gutted the inside of this library, which is a huge building, and it's like this huge event hall now. And it's it, it's like the Ritz or something in New York City. And they have a huge stage with lights and 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 multimedia. And they're getting some big people like well, you know, Paul Trembley, Grady Hendrix, Mallory Mara were there last year, Ellen Datlow. This year they have uh, Neil Gaiman is going to be their keynote. And this is a library. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Because they're they're getting like state funds and federal funds and city funds to to be cultural centers, so that's one of the things the HWA is partnering on big time, so we can help our authors be promoted there as well and promote literacy. So very exciting times. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how I mean I guess it's it's a necessary thing to kind of keep up with the times. Not everybody just goes to to check out books. I mean that's part of it, but yeah, talking to librarians out here and stuff, they they are moving more towards things like that. Because as we're seeing, you know, social services and stuff, offices uh, collapsing and changing, they're folding a lot of that into libraries. We're, we're also seeing a lot of independent bookstores and big chain bookstores kind of changing. And a lot of that slack is being taken up by, by the library system. It's, you know, honestly, I'm kind of personally a traditionalist. When I went to the library, my first question was like, oh, my God, where are all the bookshelves? And they're like, oh, because there was like four bookshelves in this huge space. And they look more like, you know, decorative kind of things at Gwyneth Paltrow's house or something versus like a real like bookshelf. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, that's all downstairs. And then downstairs look like a traditional library, the, the first floor, which was my comfort zone because that's what I grew up with. I loved, you know, getting lost in the stacks and it was quiet and, you know, shh. 
while reading. Yeah. You know, now it's like I go to the library and it's like everybody's looking on the phone and they're having the librarians are having loud conversations with people in the middle of the floor. I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? <laughs> I'm trying to write here, people. I thought this was a library, you know? But they're supporting literature and they're getting a lot of people in there for other things who are then grabbing books and hey, they're gonna sit at the back of the room and and check out Sylvia when she's chatting because hey, that's cool. I've never seen an author talk before. Yeah. And they're going to grab the book on the way out and check it out. So A plus in my book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. The smell. That's what I miss uh, is like the smell of walking into the library, just being surrounded by all the, like that kind of sweet, musty smell. Uh, there's, there's few things better, especially on a rainy winter day. Oh, no kidding. It's like the best <laughs> thing in the world. You're like, okay, just everybody go away. I don't care about anything yeah. else. See you later. And they got the new Stephen King. So bye. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to share with the listeners, either about Horror Writers Association or about any of the things you do? I think the biggest thing to know is that HWA is our members organization. It's not mine. It's not the officers. It's for them and it reflects them. And my door is always open, uh, president at horror.org. And I, I want to reflect what our members needs are, not what mine are, what I think they need. And I think that's a really important aspect that a lot of people don't realize. Through feedback, I mean, we even got a new uh, Bram Stoker category a couple of years ago because we needed a short nonfiction, um, which we were missing, which was weird. So it's everybody's organization who belongs to it. And I think that's something to remember. That's how I feel it should be run. And, and I think that we're all in this side by side, not on top and below each other. That's great. I really appreciate you taking some time. I, like I said, I know your schedule is probably pretty busy, so... It's oh, nice to, to get a chance to, to chat and totally. yeah, just learn more about the HWA. Yeah, well, thank you, Drew. I mean, I'm, I appreciate your time as well. It's definitely a, a very different world at the moment than it's been. So no kidding. <laughs> it's unprecedented and, and weird and, and man, but uh, <laughs> we'll get through it. And we have our horror books and movies and podcasts to, uh, to stay connected with through all yep. this insanity. <laughs> Horror has gotten us through before. It will get us through again. Yeah. That's kind of the that thing that when you finish a good horror novel, it proves that it could always be worse, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time. Take care. You too. Well, children of the night, the hour is late. And we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link near the bottom of our homepage at talestoterrify.com. And if you've got a minute to spare, we'd love it if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a rating or a review. Reviews are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. They help keep us on the charts so we can infect the ears of new listeners. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed 
under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Join us again next week as we pull you back down into darkness with more Tales to Terrify. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.